turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and try to answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions. We talk about the past, which is history, and we talk about the present and current events. We talk about the future when it comes to prophecy. But every once in a while, we have authors, artists, guests who are making a difference in the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. Joining me is Dr. James Spencer. He is the author of the book, Useful to God, Nine Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody. Useful to God, Nine Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody. He is also the president of the D.L. Moody Center, which you can find at moodycenter.org, and you're going to want to uh, Dr. James Spencer, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate being on. Well, it's great having you. And uh, when I uh, when I picked up your book and I thought, I have to have this guy on. Um, one of the things that you talk about in Useful to God is your own story. I mean, you, you didn't wake up one day, or it, it's my understanding that as a teenager, you didn't think, I'm going to grow up and become the president of the D.L. Moody Center. And <laughs> one, really even close. Yeah, one of the things is, is the, just the interesting way that you wound up being connected to the D.L. Moody Center. Briefly tell us a little bit about yourself and about that journey to the D.L. Moody Center. Yeah, happy to. I actually was, uh, I grew up uh, in a sort of nominally Christian home, Lutheran, mm-hmm. um, went through catechism and knew a lot of things about the Bible and about theology, you know, memorized the Apostles' Creed, all those kind of things. But hit a real crisis point when I went to college. Um, things got uh, difficult for me. I didn't have any particular direction in life, didn't have anything that I really cared about or was passionate about. Um, got really, I would call it, sort of bored. And um, just got to thinking about, you know, how do I how do I get out of this? How do I end my life at this point? And uh, went through a period where it was just, I was deeply considering suicide. Wow. I think if I could have found a way to do it uh, without appearing weak, I would have. And uh, it was my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, who started dragging me to Campus Crusade meetings. And uh, I was saved as a sophomore in college through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. As I was sort of beginning my early days as a Christian and then trying to figure out what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus, um, one of my mentors just told me, he said, hey, listen, you're too hard-headed to, to really teach anything. You need to go <laughs> learn it for yourself. And I ended up at uh, in an MDiv program, Master Divinity program, at uh, Moody Theological Seminary in Chicago. And uh, that really began an academic journey for me, where I earned my MDiv and then a couple other advanced degrees and a PhD. And, um, and, and then through that, came back to MBI as an assistant dean of online and non-traditional education, 
spent 10 years there, didn't really know much about D.L. Moody other than he was an evangelist and the founder of the school. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, when I transitioned over to uh, the D.L. Moody Center, that's when I really started to understand who this guy was. Um, you know, I'm standing on this property there in Northfield, Massachusetts, where D.L. Moody lived and did some amazing ministry. And uh, I'm like, wow, I should really get to know this guy. I should, I should understand how he did what he did, why he did what he did, and who he actually was. And so over the last three years, I've really spent time getting to know who D.L. Moody was and, uh, and really just learning from him and his life and how God used him. Yeah, and there's so that's what really drew me to write this book. Yeah, he is such an amazing figure, if you will, from from not just from history, but what what I think about in if at moodycenter.org there's a little a little line that you have. You you say, you know, making much of God through the life and ministry of D.L. Moody and then you say that Dwight Moody's not the hero of the story, but it's certainly safe to say that he's a part of that great cloud of witnesses. I think D.L. Moody obviously he would have cringed. There was there was a certain humility about the man where it wasn't really about drawing attention to himself and it was that sort of almost how do we say it, an authentic sincerity that uh, and transparency that sort of marked his life and obviously where the property where you're at that's where he sort of began his life and ended his life i mean in the sense of he was from that area obviously his his mm-hmm. uh life is going to take him a number of places but it just seems interesting to me that he would start there and end there where you are yeah and I, he really is a fascinating character and and Sort of to your point, that authentic humility. You know, D.L. Moody never wanted anything named after him, mm-hmm. and so we we've struggled a good bit of how do we name this thing the D.L. Moody Center, and also honor what we feel is the spirit of that that sort of humility. And so, some of the ways we talk about him is to make sure that God is the hero of the story, and that D.L. Moody was useful to him because of the way he surrendered to God's will. Um, but yeah, Northfield holds such a really special place in his life. Uh, mm-hmm. You're right. He was born there. He did die there. Mm-hmm. Um, he died in his home in Northfield and is buried in Northfield. And so um, he had this spectacular ministry there, though, that a lot of people don't necessarily know about. He started the first um, or one of the first Christian boarding schools for young women uh, in Northfield. It's called Northfield Seminary. Um, there on the site where we are. And um, he also built a 2,300-seat auditorium in Northfield and held pastors' conferences during the summer where we bring pastors and Christian workers together just to pray, worship, study the Word of God, and discern the Holy Spirit and just really be empowered to go back out and proclaim Christ. And, um, you know, some of the things he did were just outlandish and crazy. I mean, a 2,300-seat auditorium in a town that was far smaller than that. Right. People thought he was crazy. (laughs) And, And in a lot of ways he was, but it was his faith that drove him. He really believed that God would um, use him as he stepped forward in faith. Yeah, who knew that it was D.L. Moody who said, if you build it, they will come. That's right, that's right. And one of the interesting things about him, he had this remarkable ministry, and you talk a little bit about that in Useful to God, because he doesn't have advanced degrees. He isn't R.A. Torrey, who's been classically a classically trained theologian. But he has this incredible, dare I even use the term, supernatural gift. There's, 
there is this favor that he receives from God where, like Billy Graham, when he gives the gospel, people respond. There is it, – it isn't just the content of his speaking or – or the cleverness of his words. There was something supernatural about this man and his ministry. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the things that I was uh, blessed to be able to do was to get to know D.L. Moody by reading some of the personal letters that he sent to his family. Mm -hmm. And what you really see, people talk about how authentic he was and how sincere he was about his faith and just how relatable he was when he'd speak. But when you read his letters, what you realize is that that wasn't part of the show that he actually talked like this in his day-to-day life. Uh This was normal for him. It just sort of flowed out of him, this sort of just nascent, faithful speech, where everything related back to Christ, everything related back to building the kingdom, everything related back to being a disciple. And it's fantastic to read through those letters and just realize that the reason I think he was so compelling is because he truly, deeply believed it, and it was almost undeniable to anyone who heard him or Mm -hmm. spoke with him that he truly believed it. There's just something compelling about that. Yes. My guest is Dr. James Spencer. We're we're talking about the D.L. Moody Center. We're going to also be talking a little bit about this book, Useful to God, Nine Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody. And um, when we come back, I'm going to ask you a little bit about the mission of the D.L. Moody Center now. What are you doing now? Why is the D.L. Moody Center important now? And of course, how maybe we can think about how we can be a little more useful to God as we learn those lessons from the life of D.L. Moody. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's my great privilege to have Dr. James Spencer. We're talking about his book, Useful to God, Nine Lessons from the the Life of D.L. Moody. But but before we do that, we were talking a little bit about the D.L. Moody Center, which you are uh, the president of. It's a nonprofit. And um, obviously, people can find out more about the Moody Center at moodycenter.org, moodycenter.org. But tell us again about this uh, what is the mission of this place? What What's happening at D.L. Moody Center, like, right now? Yeah. So uh, I had mentioned, you know, D.L. Moody built this 2,300-seat auditorium, and uh-huh. one of the things he did was he invited pastors and Christian workers to the site to uh, challenge them to pray, challenge them to study the Word of God, to worship together, and to discern the Holy Spirit and what, what they were being prompted to do for God. And Moody Center really exists to echo that invitation from D.L. Moody. And so in any given day at D.L. Moody Center in Northfield, we're hosting uh, small retreats of people who are coming to reflect on God's Word mm-hmm. and pray, um, to worship together. We're holding uh, larger events, even in that 2,300-seat auditorium, which is still very much operational. Um, and then we're, we're working with it. Uh, we're working to do the same thing digitally. Mm-hmm. And so uh, our big campaign um, is Go Dark, Shine Bright. It's a 10-day social media fast and concert of prayer, followed by 10 days of proclaiming the gospel online. Um, we have that available on the website as well, and um, it it's going to do probably 100,000 participants this year. Wow. Yeah. And Impressive. So we're, we're really excited about that, and uh, we'll be hosting also some prayer meetings and doing some prayer in and around New England and Northfield this year um, from May 5th to May 15th. 
And so those are just some of the ways that we're trying to mobilize God's people and really challenge them to reflect Christ in a world that needs to hear the gospel. You know, your so book— that is the mission. That, uh, that's great. Your book, Useful to God, it kind of reminded me when I started reading it of R.A. Torrey's experience with D.L. Moody, where, yeah. like you, he's an academician. I mean, again, he is a classically trained theologian. He is a person who is oriented more in an academic setting, but he sees that God is at work in the life and ministry of D.L. Moody. He sees that God, that there is a supernatural God who's still in the business of saving people. In the life of D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey says he's not a person who's debating higher criticism or whether, you know, authority and inerrancy of the scripture. He believes it. He believes right. it. But, and so here you are, uh, you're, you're going through a little mini crisis of your own. You begin to explore the life of D.L. Moody, and you come up with these nine lessons. Um, you talk about, you meet him in the first chapter, and then you talk about surrender and prayer. Now, um, D.L. Moody isn't an academic by any stretch of the imagination, but he loves the Bible and he studies the Bible. Talk, talk a little bit about, again, sure. that journey that you yourself had. And then as you explored his life and, and these attributes begin to bubble to the surface in your own yeah. way yeah. of thinking. Yeah. I just come off of a few really hard years in academia and um, was feeling, you know, sort of burnt out. Um, mm-hmm. And it actually contemplated just leaving Christian ministry and doing something else. Uh, ultimately, pulled over into the D.L. Moody Center and uh, started studying D.L. Moody's life. Um, ran across Ari Torrey's book called um, Why God Used D.L. Moody. And Amazing. as I was reading that, Amazing. and, uh, you know, Ari Torrey's book, it, it deals with all the topics, save one, uh, in the book that I wrote. Um, Undistracted is the chapter that I added. Uh-huh. But as I was reading through Ari Torrey's book, what I was thinking to myself was, wow, these are fantastic lessons for Christians. Being surrendered to God, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, being free from the love of money, being humble. But the way that it was written from Ari Torrey about D.O. Moody was very anecdotal. It was very, you know, sort of contextualized. And so I thought to myself, I'd really love to update this and help people understand what these characteristics are and how they're still relevant today. And so that's how I started to sort of contemplate um, D.L. Moody in this way, and ultimately how I began to write the book. As I did that, you know, I really found that I was just refreshed, mm-hmm. um, you know, thinking through what it means to surrender to God's will uh, was something that even as an academic theologian, all my years in academia, it's not something that comes up in everyday conversation. And so to have months of time to just sit and think and understand how D.O. Moody surrendered himself was just uh, unbelievably refreshing in my own spiritual life. And so the book really isn't about explaining these characteristics. It mm-hmm. does explain the characteristics, but what I'd really love is for people to read it and start to cultivate these characteristics in their own lives and to begin to realize that God wants to use us and that to the extent that we surrender to him, that we're humble, that we're prayerful, you know, that we, we seek out the Holy Spirit for that power, that God will use us. He may not use us to the tune of reaching 100 million people like, with the gospel, yeah. 
but he'll use us. And however he chooses to use us is a blessing. Yeah, it is. It's one of the interesting asides is the supernatural associations of D.L. Moody, where you talk about yeah. Ira Sankey and and uh, R.A. Torrey. He seemed that, for whatever reason, God-honoring people were attracted to him and then supported him in the ministry. And again, you have this almost supernatural favor from God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, D.L. Moody was... The only way I can describe him, just from everything that I've read, he was magnetic. Uh-huh. He, he just drew people in. And I don't think it was his personality or his stature. I mean, he was he was not what you would call a you know, classically charismatic human being. But I think people really recognized the hand of God in his life. And uh, it, was, it was fantastic. I got to interview um, David Powell, who uh-huh. is D.L. Moody's great-grandson. And uh, one of the things I asked him was, you know, what would D.L. Moody be doing if he were alive today? And Dave said, D.L. Moody would be wherever he felt the Holy Spirit was moving. (laughs) That's where he'd be. He'd go, he'd be out there looking for where the Holy Spirit was moving, and he would put himself right in the middle of that, and that's what D.L. Moody would be doing. Yeah, I just thought that was a perfect answer. It seems so timely and so important, useful to God, nine lessons from the life of D.L. Moody. And you can imagine in crisis, in difficulty, in uncertainty, there's there still remain a few people who are asking the question, how can I be useful to God? And so give us an idea of how people can get a copy of your book, Useful to God. Oh, it is now available on Amazon um, via Kindle. Uh-huh. So they can go to Amazon and search for Useful to God, or they can go to Kingdom Wins. That's the publishing uh, company that we use, um, kingdomwins.com, uh, and they can search for the book, and they can purchase a print copy there. Yeah, one of the things that you have um, at the end of the book, you have some reflection questions and that challenge, becoming useful to God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really is what I hope the book does. I mean, I think if if anything, I've I've written some other books, and they're more, you know, let's think about things, let's just, you know, clarify what God's Word means. This one's a little different. This one, I'd really love to see people grasp the idea and begin to cultivate these characteristics in their lives, because I truly believe that if we, each individual Christian, and collectively as a church, if we were to develop these characteristics— God will use us powerfully. Uh, I really believe that. Well, I so appreciate you being my guest. Again, the book is called Useful to God, Nine Lessons from the Life of D.L. Moody. And just in the few seconds that we have left, give give that website for the uh, D.L. Moody Center. It is moodycenter.org. Moodycenter.org. Yes, and if you want uh, more on the the book, you can go to moodycenter.org forward slash useful to God. And I would just really encourage you to go to their website because they've got so many um, resources at at moodycenter.org. You can like them on Facebook and Twitter. And again, James Spencer, thanks so much. And congratulations on a great resource and tool for the body of Christ. Thanks very much. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back.
Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. If you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. That's the number with your question about God or the historical Jesus, about what's going on in the, this great big world that we're in. Obviously, the Ukraine... Excuse me, the Ukraine and Russian crisis has not gone past us, and it's impossible to ignore the State of the Union address that was given last night by President Biden. And again, I don't know if you watched it or you watched some portion of it. Um, I think that the president made an effort, obviously, to um, promote his agenda, and there, there are certain things that I found myself agreeing with, including increasing border security and emphasizing American-made products and removing COVID restrictions and talking about democracy and capitalism. But in spite of everything that the president said in his State of the Union address, there was no way to hide his radical agenda. Um, the president didn't mention Iran at all. He did not mention Israel at all. He did not mention a path to uh, resolve what's going on um, in Europe or to come up with a way of communicating with the American people how he the, the steps that he was going to to take to de-escalate and to ensure that we're not going to participate in World War III. But there was another thing that he repeatedly talked about, and that was the misnamed, inappropriately named Equality Act. Now, this Equality Act issue was something that I talked about at length and ad nauseum um, before the COVID crisis hit in, uh, in 2020. At the end of of September, October, in the fall of 2019, um, there was this pressure to pass what was called the Equality Act. Now, again, he said he shocked Christians by saying the first thing that he would do as president would be to sign the Equality Act. Now, I'm so glad that... um, that the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives um, that even though they were able to pass it, the Senate was able to stop it. Now, what was frustrating to me about the Equality Act is that it is it, it was literally even uh, voted on by eight Republicans in the House. Now, again, what most People say, well, how, how could you not be for equality? And I, I'm not against equality, but what I am against is the criminalization of Christianity by not just providing, quote unquote, legal um, provisions for people who might identify in same-sex marriages or in homosexual relationships. But this Equality Act is anti-Christian. 
It's anti-freedom of speech. It's anti-freedom of association. The Equality Act doesn't just simply allegedly provide equality. Uh, What it does is is, is it legalizes sexual anarchy and criminalizes the belief that there's such a thing as sin. Now, Senator Bernie Sanders co-sponsored the Senate version of the Equality Act, and he, during his failed campaign, incorporated it as part of his presidential platform. Senator Elizabeth Warren co-sponsored the bill and promised to fight tooth and nail to get it passed. Thank God it didn't. South Bend Mayor Peter Buttigieg strongly supported the bill and said its passage in the House was a historic moment. Uh, Then Senator Kamala Harris, now Vice President Kamala Harris, co-sponsored the bill and described its passage as a pivotal end uh, of a part of ending homophobia and transphobia. And, of course, Hollywood, the media, Silicon Valley pushed for it. But the Equality Act isn't really about equality. It's about supremacy. It gives LGBTQ values supremacy over heterosexuality. It prohibits discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, in public accommodations and facilities. We're seeing the fruit of that at this very moment. Education, sports, where biological males are able to compete with women, where a man at the University of Pennsylvania ranked number 500 in the world as a man dominates the sport the sport of of women swimming. So whether it's federal funding, employment, housing, credit, the jury system, the bill also expands the definition of public accommodations to include exhibitions, recreation, exercise, amusement, gatherings, or display, all forms of transportation. The Equality Act turns any recognition of the differences between the sexes or any preferences for traditional sexual morality into actionable hate crimes. So the bill expands numerous federal civil rights laws, including the Civil Rights Act of 1964, to include those with non-traditional sexual orientation and those who identify as non-biological genders as protected classes. Now again, the challenge becomes, is it equality when people who embrace historical biblical Christianity are literally told, that sexual freedom is more important than conscience and religious liberty. And by the way, if the bill becomes law, it's going to generate a proliferation of lawsuits claiming discrimination of all kinds. What we're seeing with Jack Phillips at Masterpiece Bakery, what we're seeing with the online lady who uh, creates websites, what we're seeing for florists, 
like in Oregon, this is going to be a mushroom of lawsuits. It prohibits an individual from being denied access to shared facilities, including restrooms, locker rooms, dressing rooms, in accordance with the individual's gender identity. And we see this leaking in to the popular culture already. And then it institutionalizes the belief that the truth about gender identity is self-defined, that it has nothing to do with biology. You are whatever you think you are. The Equality Act says that each individual must be treated according to the sex he or she thinks or feels he or she is. Now get this, at any given moment. So imagine a young man decides to identify as a female to go into the sh- into the locker room with girls and then decides that he's a he's a male once again. So this gender identity is linked to gender fluidity which is linked to how you feel at any given moment but then it is protected under the full force of this retaliatory law. So I'm hoping and praying that you say to your congressman, that you say to your senators, no, N-O, N-O spells no. We don't want this at all. This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. Let's see who's, well, so Rissa's not available. Okay, I I know that she called, she had a question about the Equality Act. And I don't know what your question is, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. Maybe um, what I have to say may or may not answer your question. But I'm going to suggest to you, that the Equality Act, the misnamed Equality Act, is the most dangerous assault on freedom of speech and freedom of religion ever proposed on a national level. Now, again, if you are a United States senator and you're listening to this broadcast, if you're a congressman or woman and you're listening to this, you might think, well, that's a pretty weighty thing to say. But again, it's, it's an all-out assault on parental rights, on the family, on the church. I'm going to have Deb Flora on Friday, and we're going to talk a little bit about her film project, Whose Children Are They? So the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because millions of Christians of faith all across America, not just Christians, have freedom of religion Now, remember, without government interference, but it dictates that faith must be confined, listen carefully, to the mind alone. And it can't be applied to actions or behaviors. In other words, if you want to believe in your heart or in your mind that homosexual behavior is sinful, that sexual immorality is sinful, that that, uh, gender dysphoria is at best and most charitably 
a mental and emotional condition that requires treatment, mental health treatment. And you'll note that there's no religious exemption in the bill. There's no institution. There's no person of faith, Christian, Muslim, or otherwise, will escape the reach of this draconian law if it, if it passes once again in the House and the Senate, and it's signed into law by this president, by this president who last night called on the Congress to pass the bill. But it's got to be stopped. It must be stopped. And there's got to be a growing group of people who say, hey, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. I need to find out more about this Equality Act. I need to find out what exactly does this mean? Remember, remember so long ago when people were screaming, hey, look, homosexuals just want the right to marry each other. They don't want to hurt anybody else. Until you go to Jack Phillips and you go to the bakery and you say, bake me a homosexual cake that celebrates homosexual behavior. And Jack says, you know what? Um, I'm a Christian, and there's certain things that I'm not going to do. There's certain things that I'm not going to participate in, whether it's a Halloween cake or it's a sexually explicit cake or it's something like this. And so you should contact your senators. You should contact both of them, and you should say to them, I literally implore you not to vote for this bill. And by the way, if you do vote for it, I'm going to make every effort to make sure that you're not reelected. In other words, I, I, I think it's pretty important that we say to the congressman and woman in our district and the senator in our district, hey, you know what? Um, could you please tell me what you believe about the right of conscience and religious freedom? And are you concerned that this bill will have an effect on people of conscience? And, and again, in this Equality Act, you've got to remember that in the LGBTQ+, plus, what do you, we know what the L stands for, Le- lesbian, G, gay, B, bisexual, T, Transgender, Q, queer, plus, what does the plus stand for? Are, are they suggesting that sexual expression, no matter how perverse, no matter how wicked, no matter how problematic, that you're going to incorporate it? You clearly haven't drawn the line. The American Psychiatric Association wants to lower the age of sexual consent and redefine pedophilia as minor attracted people and youth attracted people. They say that pedophilia is like a pejorative. That means it's degrading. So can you imagine that people must be really, really angry if you use terms like child molester. 
the plus sign in LGBTQ plus is a sort of a multi-purpose symbol. It can mean pansexual. It can be mean polyamorous. It can mean asexual. But can it mean minor attracted people and youth attracted people? Minor attracted people. The Equality Act, therefore, calls into question whether or not there might be new protected sexual orientations. And I'm hoping you're shocked. I'm hoping you're alarmed. I'm hoping you're disgusted. Some states have already lowered the age of consent for sexual uh, assault crimes to the age of 16. Some of the backers of the Equality Act want to lower the age of consent nationally to 14 or even lower. At what point, at what point are you going to go, no, the answer is no. The answer is no, that's not what we want. And so the other thing about the, the Equality Act, it'll officially I know this sounds like an overstatement, but let me make my case. The Equality Act will officially end parental rights regarding rearing their own children. Is that what you want? Do you want the state to have supremacy over the direction that your children can take? The the usurpation of parental authority, it's already begun. Now, in China... They can take your parent, the state can take your child if for whatever reason they believe that the parents are saying things that are contrary to um, state doctrine. You know, it was a couple of years ago when parents in Ohio declined to provide the risky hormone therapy, their daughter requested to begin the process of transforming into a boy. And the child's doctors contacted Child Protective Services. So imagine your child identifies, your your female child identifies as a male, your male child identifies as a female at 13, 12 or 13 years old and says, I want to begin hormone treatment so that I can transition into my gender of choice. Do you know what happened in the Ohio State case? The parents' rights were terminated. Now, imagine if the Equality Act becomes federal law. What happened to this couple in Ohio? It's going to happen in Colorado. But it's also going to happen in California, in Nevada, and even in Wyoming, and even in Texas. And so... We need to we need to fight tooth and nail and say no, no, no to the Equality Act, the misnamed Equality Act. It isn't equality for Christians. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions. 